Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. to rewatchability it's the podcast where we rewatch old movies and talk about how they hold up today i am captain rewatchability uh robert larone i i thought i'd try with the captain rewatchability sure, sure, thing sure. that's my superhero moniker alias if you will and uh None of the usual guys are here today. They are all on vacation, but heroes don't get vacations. Mm-hmm. Apparently, neither do I. I don't know if that makes me a hero. It's like causation does not equal. Anyway, the point is, is today I brought in Glenn Bowerman from the Spacing Radio podcast. Howdy. And we're going to talk about what movie? Uh, we're going to talk about The Watchmen. The Watchmen, the 2009 movie directed by Zack Snyder. Mm-hmm. It has superheroes. It has the Cold War. It has everything. But before we get into that, first of all, I want to thank our Patreons. Those are the people who give us one, three, five dollars a month. You are the heroes to us. You, you Watchmen us and help us. That's not a very good analogy. Thank you for giving your donations to us. It keeps the lights on. We also give you the podcast early, ad-free, and it is in slightly higher quality. So you get to hear you know, the full fidelity of our <laughs> deep radio voices. The ultimate cut, if you will. That's right. The <laughs> ultimate cut. Now, we're talking about Watchmen. Glenn, this was your suggestion. Yep. Why? Why Watchmen? This, it was, what, 2009? Yep. That is... 10 years ago. It may not even be the decade anniversary of this movie. So why are we talking about this? Well, I grew up loving comic books. Uh, I think people our age especially probably were raised on that glorious like Fox X-Men cartoon. Oh, yeah. Right? And oh, then, so good. And if I was good, you know, my parents would buy me something off the rack, like yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Spider-Man, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. And then I kind of took a break and then I got back into it when the X-Men movie came out when we were in okay. high school. Okay. And I started buying off the rack for myself and like really getting into it. Like, you know, even random shit like Thor and all that kind of stuff. Thor! Well, back, that back obscure! When, well, he was obscure in 2001. Right. No one was talking about Thor. It's kind of um, amazing that he's become, like, the big dude. Yeah. Because I didn't care about Thor. No, no, one, no, he was no one's favorite character. Okay. But, yeah, now, now we're in an age, and we can get into it, but, like, I think this movie was already responding to, like, oh, there's such a glut of superhero movies. Like, right. Like, you didn't even know at the time. Like, right. The, <laughs> if you thought there was too many superhero movies, oh, boy. Oh, sweet child, you ain't <laughs> seen nothing yet. Yeah. <laughs> So I think like now it's it's good to talk to, and also I think I think this movie is ultimately more timely now than it was ten years ago, right? Uh, because the of, world's coming to an end. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know uh, we have a cognitively impaired uh, pop culture figure uh, as the president, uh, <laughs> which <laughs> just like Watchmen and Richard Nixon. <laughs> yeah, or uh, at the time that Watchmen came out, like we had Ronald Reagan, right? That's was, right. Yeah, yeah. And now you know there's a, a show coming out which I. 
I'm going to watch with interest. But, the Watchmen uh, television the, show. On HBO, yeah. And I don't know what to expect. I'm interested. Could be good. Could be terrible. Could be good. Could be terrible. We'll have to definitely talk about that a little bit later because it does sound kind of interesting. Yeah. And I think I'm ready for some more Watchmen. So, Glenn, when was the first time that you saw the movie Watchmen? Did you see it in theaters? I saw it in theaters. I had never read the book. And mm. when I saw the trailer, uh, it had that awesome Smashing Pumpkins song. Right. And I was like, I got to see this movie. So I ran out and got the book. That was an amazing trailer. It was such a good trailer. And it played before Batman Beyond, I believe. I think so, yeah. And uh, so I ran out, got the book, loved the book. Like It just ate it up in like a, a day or two. Rich, dense, everything. Yeah. It, it hit me in the right spot at the right time right and then so i was ready for the movie to come out when it did and how did you feel when you watched it the first time like what were your impressions i actually loved it and this is very controversial because that <laughs> <laughs> especially Zack like, snyder is great stop saying mean things about him <laughs> stop making martha jokes <laughs> <laughs> i i loved it and it's controversial because watchmen a lot of people love the watchmen even right. people who don't really care about comic books yep. they love the watchmen and you know there are a lot of people that were like it's not true enough to the book or you know it's it's too this it's too that I thought it was fairly faithful and, until the bitter end, which we'll get right. into. And uh, yeah, I, I thought it, it was a good take on on the subject material. Nice. I I think I had a similar experience. I I love the comic book sort of universes as they were shown to us on TV and through films mostly when I was growing up. My brother was sort of more into comic books because he could draw worth a shit. Mm -hmm. And he also would buy like Wizard Magazine. So I would, I was really interested in like the lore of superheroes, but I never got around to reading most of the comic books. Right. When the Watchmen trailer came out, I remember it excited everybody. Yeah. And I had a friend who passed around her copy of the graphic novel to all of us. And we all read it and we were all blown away. So it felt like a big, like communal event. Like yeah. Watchmen's coming. Like this is, this is going to be it. This is going to be like the best superhero thing. Cause we've had Nolan's Batmans, which like raised the bar pretty high. Yeah. But this has like the sort of the sort of meta narrative about superheroes is it's so much more it's going to bring it all into the world and then when the movie actually came out i saw it in theaters and there were parts of it i really loved and there were parts of it that irked me a little bit sure yeah and like some of them are some of them are stupid like i and you know in rewatching it i'm definitely reevaluating whether or not those things still bother me like for some reason i was ridiculously bothered by Malin ackerman's performance that's the silk specter yeah that's yeah. right i just yeah. thought she was like bad 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 yeah this time i I, I didn't hate her anyway, but I don't know. Maybe I was just like more angry at that <laughs> point. <laughs> but also like things like I didn't like the way that Richard Nixon looked. I remember being like incensed that they didn't get Nixon right. Franklin Jell is right there. I mean, he doesn't look the part, but he gives the performance. Right. It was a lot of nose putty. A lot of nose putty. Yeah. And there are some other moments that uh, that I don't love. But I remember I, – I, was so anticipating the movie because it brought together like so many great elements. Like I like I like Patrick Wilson as an actor mm -hmm. from Angels in America. Yeah. I like Jackie Earl Haley. He's great. All those people. Billy Crudup. Yeah, yeah, Billy Crudup. I loved him in Almost Famous. Yeah, me too. Which you know, now he's a blue god <laughs> instead uh, of a gold. Instead of a gold. I'm god. picking up Thank what you're putting down. Thank you. Yeah. That was such a stretch. But I love Almost Famous so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So I I guess I was a bit disappointed and I haven't okay. – I don't think revisited it since I saw it in theaters and in that time a lot has happened. Like Zack Snyder took the reins basically of the DC superhero franchise. He made the Batman v Superman. He <sighs> made uh, – he started making the Justice League and the, he also did the Superman yeah. And I saw the Superman. I saw I tried to watch the beginning of Batman v Superman and I just hate everything that he's done since. Well, that's why uh, that's why I also wanted to talk about it because I have grown to really hate Zack Snyder. Like I didn't watch anything he had done prior to The Watchmen. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, watch The Watchmen. I I watched The Watchmen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it and then yeah, uh, as a fan of comic books, the source material I hated everything he did with Superman, with Batman versus Superman, 
whatever influence he had on the Justice League clearly sort of tainted it as well. Yeah. No amount of like snarky Joss Whedon kind of humor could save it. Oh, you know? man. Uh, so, yeah, that's why else I wanted to talk about it. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's a good reason. And I think like I'm glad to talk about it at this point. I think it's great. I'm interested in seeing the series. So let's talk about it. OK, let's do it. Watchmen. <laughs> so if you haven't seen it or you can't quite remember or maybe you only read the comic book 15 years ago, it takes place in a sort of alternate reality. It's very much like ours, but there are a few subtle differences. Mm-hmm. Like Richard Nixon is the president. His fifth term, I think they say. Fifth term. Yeah. Yeah. That's – I mean that's <laughs> that's a scary thought. If a president who was a terrible president who should have been impeached and thrown out of the White House could just like hold on to power somehow. Right. But that couldn't happen. <laughs> that couldn't happen. <laughs> but it starts with a guy watching Nixon on TV. The Cold War is escalating. It's this guy with like a Rhett Butler mustache. He has, he's smoking a cigar. He has a little smiley face. Mm-hmm. And this is the comedian. Yep. And, you know, he seems a bit drunk. <laughs> he's having a time. He gets attacked by an unknown assailant and thrown out the window. And that's the sort of beginning of the movie before it kicks into this sort of montage of history events all set to the tune of Bob Dylan's The Times They Are Changing. Yeah. And I just have to say, like, as a fan of the graphic novel, they covered so much with that montage. Like, that's one of the best uses of montage I've ever seen. I have hundreds of pages. I have to agree. It's also, like, really powerful, I found. Like, I love the way that... It sort of inserts this world into our world, the way that it plays with alternate reality. I still don't like how Nixon looks. <laughs> okay. But <laughs> we'll put a pin in that. <laughs> the rest of it, I thought like, yes, mm-hmm. yes. And even like the Bob Dylan song, I'm like, you know, like part of me, the person who's like, you know, really serious about music is like, I don't know about using a folk song in this comic book movie, but it feels good, man. Yeah. And it works pretty well. Yeah. I mean, like the... The original book, I, th- I think uh, the story that Alan Moore had was very slim, like the, the actual main plot. And so he flushed it out with all this backstory and mm-hmm. world building, which just would not, you know, translate to cinema very well. You'd have an eight eight hour movie. So like the way that they did this in a title sequence, just in a montage, just that's I have to give it to old Zach. Old Zach. <laughs> yeah, I also love. Some of the scenes, like I love the uh, Zepp Ruder footage. <laughs> You're like, ah, oh, there's Kennedy. And then you see uh, the comedian on the grassy knoll. Yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and Dr. Manhattan uh, shaking Kennedy's hands in a forest, kind of forest gumpy. But, you know, it, I, think it, I think it all works as a beginning. But, and this is what sets off the movie. The comedian has been murdered and somebody has to investigate. Who's yeah. it going to be? It's going to be Rorschach. He's the only superhero left because they have banned superheroing. All this is explained in the montage, yeah. basically. Yeah. Like, it shows us that, yes, a long time ago, like in the 30s, there were these superheroes who were sort of corny and their costumes didn't fit very well and they, they were smiling too much. Yeah. And then there's a second generation of superheroes. I just love, like, the whole, like, the world building. And I applaud Zack Snyder for putting it all in there and making it fit in, like, an interesting and cohesive way. Right. Coherent way. Hear that world? Somebody's applauding Zack Snyder. Yeah. Well. (laughs) (laughs) We'll hold off. (laughs) Well, that's, you know. (laughs) So uh, we got the whole... Watchmen team. We got Rorschach, who's played by Jackie Earl Haley. And, I mean, he's, like, the main dude. Yeah. He's got, like, the that awesome mask. Yeah. And I love the way that the mask was rendered in this film. Because, of course, in the comic books, it's just, like, a white face with some symmetrical ink blots on them. You know? It yeah. doesn't have to be anything. But in this, they made, like, it's like a shifting. It looks like it's, like, LCDs shifting on a sock. Yeah, it's mercurial kind of, yeah. 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 I, I was impressed by that. I think that still holds up because I think of all the ways that they try to make, you know, these comic book ideas look real on the movie screen. That works. Yeah. But he is investigating. He's got to talk to his old pal. We got Night Owl, mm-hmm. Patrick Wilson, and... 
since the superheroes are no longer allowed to superhero, they're mostly hanging out. He's ha- trading war stories with the old Night Owl. We have Dr. Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Who is Billy Crudup, and he is—he's been irradiated, and he is really the only person with actual superpowers yeah. in this universe. He has like Promethean, like godlike powers. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And we also know that the United States has used him as a weapon in order to basically win the Vietnam War. Yeah, which you know, in turn, is part of what changed this history. And there's also – we got the Silk Spectre, two of them as well. There's like the older one and the younger one. And these these ones are particularly sort of weird because the old Silk Spectre doesn't seem that old. Yeah. Like she seems like she's in like a community theater production yeah. and they like old personed her up because yeah. they couldn't find someone of appropriate age. Some kind of like – you know, when, when in first year university when a young actor does like uh, Blanche from Streetcar, it's kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a fading Southern Belle. You're 17. You're 17. But of course, it's to accommodate all of the flashbacks, which Zack Snyder sort of integrates into the main action of the thing. So all the stuff that sort of takes place from the 30s to whenever, I guess to the 80s, we get like bits of it mm-hmm. through the montage. I mean, through various montages that happen throughout the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for coming today. I ask you acquaint yourselves with this map of high crime areas. This is all bullshit. You know, for a guy who calls himself the comedian, I can never tell when you're joking. Watch me. That's the real joke. Didn't work 15 years ago. Sure as hell ain't gonna work now just because you want to keep playing cowboys and Indians. Maybe we should agree on no drinking at meetings. (laughs) Look, Rorschach and I have made real headway on the gang problem by working together. With a group this size, it seems like a publicity stunt. Not in it for the ink. We can do so much more. We can save this world. It's good to have that sort of stuff. Um, but it does. I mean, do you find it clunky at at the beginning? No, I think I, I love the pace, and yeah, it's he he manages to cut back and forth in time without it being jarring. Mm. Rorschach tells Night Owl that he suspects that somebody is bumping off superhero, that somebody is knocking off the mask. Yeah. He says. And so that sets him on a path to visit all the different heroes and investigate. Though he's not like a great detective. Like he has a very like Raymond Chandler-esque narrative voice. Yeah. But some of his like observations are a bit iffy. Like at one point he talks about Mandis, and he's like, Vite, possible homosexual, we'll investigate later. Yeah, he's he's atrocious. <laughs> Yeah, but also kind of our man on the ground. Like he's he's the audience's way into the movie. So you have to kind of reconcile that this guy sucks, but he's also he's our guy. Yeah, <laughs> he's a tough protagonist, I think, for this particular moment in time because yeah. he has some pretty right wing tendencies. Like oh, yeah. he's a brutal dude. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't mind breaking civilians' thumbs or arms or whatever. He is just, like, damaged and he is going to commit more damage, which is in stark contrast to some of the other heroes. Like, Patrick Brown as Night Owl 2, he's kind of, like, schlumpy. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, he has very much of that, like, old Batman, 1950s campy Batman sort of goodness and wholesomeness. But also he's just not very, like... It's sort of funny the way that the movie plays it. Like, he's not very, like, manly or heroic or, you know, he's, like, He's pudgy. not driven at all. He's, like, lost his, you know, he's out of shape. Yeah. But I also like that, you know, the the two of them used to be partners. Yes. And they're, they're basically, like, the two takes that you find uh, of Batman. Like, it's like someone, like, split Batman into two oh. personalities where, like, you have the very, like, Frank Miller. He's described as almost like a Nazi. Um, <laughs> you know? Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very grim, very dark, very um, reactionary and, yeah, conservative, ultra conservative. Yeah. And that's Rorschach. And then you have the more like, oh, I like my gadgets and, you know, I study birds and mythology and, you know, and that's the other side of Batman, more like the 70s and back when Batman was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> remember that. Yeah, that's an. <laughs> I love those old Batman. Yeah. They they are a lot of fun. They, they don't really fit the the current superhero mold, or I guess you know superheroes go through different molds. As, yeah, as uh, time goes on. 
They do more investigating. They have to talk to all the members of the team. At one point, is it Rorschach that goes to visit Moloch? Uh, yes, he does, yeah. And Moloch is played by another Canadian. Matt Frewer. Matt Frewer, Matt's headroom himself. Mm-hmm. And I-, I love this portrayal in particular. And I remember finding it like kind of like almost moving the first yeah. time that I saw it. Because here we have this guy who was like the villain to the old school superheroes and you know back when it was fun right mm-hmm. like the stakes weren't high they weren't like massacring any countries or anything like that it was just like thievery and you know and wearing pajamas outside yeah but he you know got caught went to jail served his time and you know he's like living his life and now he's dying of cancer yeah he's kind of gill from the simpsons yeah <laughs> who is uh who is you know really uh you know, what's his face from uh, Glengarry Glen Ross? Oh, I, Jack Lemon. Aw, <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> yeah. You got to buy this place. I need the leads. <laughs> I, I, I love that performance. And his ears, it's very, um, but he gets murdered and they yeah. pin it on Rorschach. Yeah. So Rorschach ends up going to jail, which puts an end to his investigating. Right. But meanwhile, there's some stuff happening with Night Owl and Silk Spectre. Well, she is in a relationship with Dr. Manhattan. Yes. And Dr. Manhattan is the most important element of the state's national security at the time. Yeah. But he's also working on a project with Ozymandias, uh, the, the world's smartest man, who's kind of like a, a now, I guess, the, the he's touchstone Elon Musk. Elon Musk. He's yeah, Elon yeah, Musk. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We got to watch out. <laughs> for that Elon Musk. But they're working on a, an alternative energy invention that's that's supposed to like bring about world peace. Right. Yes. But he doesn't have time for a relationship. Yep. You know, it's hard when you are an omniscient being. You can be everywhere at once, but you can't be in this poor woman's life. Yep. So also uh, he gets accused of causing cancer in a lot of people, including like his old ex-girlfriend, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, his original girlfriend from the flashbacks and his uh, his partner in research when he was working on the, the thing that made him the big blue god man. Yeah. <laughs> so he goes to Mars yeah. and she goes into the arms of Dan the Night Owl. Yeah. And this is, you know, they have they have like a really sad affair. Yeah. It is. It is. It is tough to watch. Well, it's also sad because uh, the the doomsday clock, right? The the clock, which is a real thing. I found out. I thought it was invented for the comic book. No, it's a real thing. Yes. Um. So we're on the precipice of like total nuclear war. Uh, you know, Americans versus the the Soviets and. Dr. Manhattan is supposed to be able to protect uh, America, but they say like 0.1% of the, the nukes from USSR get through. It's still going to like obliterate yeah. all life on Earth. This so it's, is mutually it's very... assured destruction. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah. So he, he even he can't do everything. So they have to find some way to find peace. Yeah. You know. But uh, instead they just smooch. Instead they just smooch. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> but they sort of get their mojo back a little bit, and they decide to like suit up again. Yep, and that's sort of nice. They go and save some people from a burning building. Yeah, but then they have some some more awkward sex. Yeah, <laughs> in the uh, the floating little dune buggy thing. Yeah, the dirigible. I don't know what you call it. I just don't know how to talk about this scene because it. It really takes the movie to a complete standstill for me because I, I think I have to describe it because in the first sex scene where they're going to have sex, he I, – I, does he like prematurely ejaculate? No, he can't get it up. OK. Yeah. I, sorry. I couldn't quite remember which uh, thing it was. But it's still like – it's like sad. Though, you know, it happens and, you know, if it happens, it's not the end of the world. Yep. And keep going, guys. But then he has this – so they've they've – Donned their superhero costumes. They've gone out. They've saved some people. They're feeling good about themselves. So, yeah, they're going to have some sex. Mm -hmm. What are they going to have sex to? Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. Hey, some people (laughs) think he's very sexy. Oh, man. I, uh, well, I mean, it's like Hallelujah. He can get it up. Yeah, well, yeah, and there is there is like a an ejaculation joke where like they there's a climax to the sex scene and they accidentally press a button and a flame the flamethrower. Oh yeah. my god, we get it. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, Zachary. Oh my god, <laughs> I just, I, I it's in the comic. They do have sex in the comic. Yes, though I don't believe it says the entirety of Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah plays. No, you could have used the cover. There's Jeff Buckley's. Give Katie Lang a call. But it's the 80s. 
That's right? a good yeah. point. You got to set it in the eighties. Good point. Yeah. yeah. John Cale. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, like I appreciate the soundtrack uh, for the most part. Like yep. I, I think they. They set the tone well with the song choices. Like in that opening scene uh, where the comedian gets murdered, uh, Nat Cole's uh, Unforgettable. Unforgettable. Playing. Like they're a good – like Zack Snyder is a music video director. That is very true. And when He's he does scenes many. like that, that's his core competency. Yeah. I, he does them very well. I can't help though – I found myself wanting for like a more traditional score in many moments and maybe it's just because the way that today's superhero movies have conditioned me. I found, yeah, like a lot of the times the songs work very well. But a lot of the times it's like such an obvious choice. It's like, you know, Zack Snyder picked up the first 60s mixtape that he found. It's like, oh, this sound of silence would be good. <laughs> right. You want the uh, the horns and the arpeggios. And the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But some, some of it works very well. Like one – the movie is basically like strung along three Bob Dylan tunes performed by Bob Dylan. Jimi Hendrix is awesome and, you know, awesome way before Watchmen cover of All Along the Watchtower. Mm-hmm. And then there's that uh, cover of Desolation Row at the uh, end, which my I Chemical be- Romance. My Chemical Romance. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a good cover or not. I don't. I can't it. say. But I'm like a Bob Dylan fan. So like, I, right? I just like, just play the Dylan one. Just man. play the Dylan one. <laughs> Yeah. Or or get somebody who is like I mean when you when you have somebody cover a song at the end of a movie like that and there's been two preceding songs by the guy who wrote the song yeah. you're saying something right you're saying something by choosing the artist yeah and I don't I just don't know what it means other than like here's some like crassness for you yeah I I don't know what the reason behind that was but I don't know maybe we're just grumpy. <laughs> Maybe we're just grumpy. Okay, so more stuff happens in the movie that we should talk about. <laughs> Sorry. They got to break Rorschach out of jail. They got to break Rorschach out of jail. Oh, my God. Like, I love the fucking brutality of the scene where the guys who he's arrested before are going to take revenge on him. And so they come to him in his cell during a prison riot. And there's one guy who puts his arms in and Rorschach sort of ties him up in there. Yeah. And then his friends are just like... Sorry, bud, and like saw off his arms. Yeah, yeah, that didn't make <laughs> too oh. much sense, but it's it sets a good tone. He's dead, Rorschach. Well, everyone's distracted. We thought we'd bring you a little housewarming gift, something from the machine shop. Hey, boss, you notice? Know uh, that small world, tall order crap. Because he knows once we slice open his lock, he's next on the block. That chance. Get that, Rorschach. We got a prison full of killers out here. What have you got? Your hands. And then there's the guy that like is threatening him in the lunch line, and uh, you know Rorschach kind of beats him up and pours hot oil from the lunch oh. line, and he has like the most badass line of all time, which is like, you know, I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in yes. with me. Yes. It's pretty pretty gangster thing to say i mean <laughs> it is a pretty gangster thing to say but now i feel like like i, I think people wear that on a t-shirt now yeah <laughs> and, <you're> like, <laughs> and i don't want to talk to the and people it's an who extra, have a t-shirt extra large t-shirt <laughs> no that's not fair that's with not a fedora fair. on top yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're all locked in here together <laughs> there's also I, I mean that reminded me of like some of the other brutality in this movie because at one point this gang of um i guess they're like culturally appropriating samurai outfits gear haircuts yeah yeah they look like they're i don't know they're called the top knots right the top knots they go and uh they they sort of get worked up at one point and they go and they decide to take on the original Night Owl, who is the old dude. And I mean, this is like, it's sort of an interesting scene because the old dude, he gets a couple good cracks in there. And you can tell he's like, yes, I'm doing the thing that I was meant to do. And I'm remembering like all my bad guys and like, you know. And and then they like beat his head in with a trophy. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I I was doing, when I looked it up to see the differences between the director's cut that we watched and the theatrical release, that scene actually isn't in the theatrical release. Oh, that makes sense. Um, But I I do enjoy it. And it's a case of mistaken identity because when the new Night Owl goes back into action, the Top Knot gang thinks that it's the old Night Owl. So uh, inadvertently, Night Owl 2 kind of causes 
things to causes yeah. the first night owl to to die. Yeah. yeah. So that's no fun. No. Yeah. Great power and great responsibility and all that stuff. Huh. <laughs> they should write a comic about it. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> premise. <laughs> uh, they also Silk Spectre also goes up to Mars to sort of have a uh, oh, what do you call it? Like a it's like an exit interview. Yeah. <laughs> for the relationship. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also a lot. I love. I love a lot of the dialogue in in this stuff because where Billy Crudup, who plays Dr. Manhattan's like, you're here to tell me that you're going to break up with me. I don't know that yet, but I will yeah. when you do it. 90 seconds from now. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a head trip. Um, but I like she's it. trying to convince him to care about humanity because he's become so removed from it because he's now like a god. But she, she needs him to come back to Earth and try and prevent this nucle- nuclear apocalypse. Yeah. And it's it's heavy because he yeah he basically sees that the universe would suffer nothing by having humanity not in it like right. what exists out there without life is as beautiful and meaningful to him as as our pathetic pond scum lives are right so that's pretty heavy yeah <laughs> but they eventually figure out that Vite is the guy who's behind all of this Ozymandias and so they go to confront him and it's already too late because when Dr. Manhattan sort of comes back he sets off all of these explosions which have the tachyon signature of Dr. Manhattan yeah. is it tachyons? yeah tachyons <laughs> scientific powder scientific powder it's it's made to look like it's Manhattan when it's actually Ozymandias. Yeah. But basically killed all these people. Major cities all over the world. Yeah, all over the world, including like there's the kid that we know has been wa- reading the comic book, yep. Tales of the Black Freighter, which is part of the comic book but isn't in the director's cut of the movie. He just dies. Yep. He just dies. Yeah. <laughs> I found that truly upsetting. I think it's meant to be. I remember it being in the comic book. I'm sure it is, but I just, you know. It's yeah. like he was doing nothing. He was just he just wanted some stories, man. But the reason being that like Ozymandias seeing no way to prevent this nuclear apocalypse between, you know, the two major world yep. powers, he basically has to trick humanity into loving each other and mm-hmm. uniting. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the greatest one of my favorite things about that is they all go to confront him and they're like, well, we're not going to let you get away with this. And he's like, I'm not a cartoon villain. I wouldn't tell you the plan if there was a chance you could stop it. I did it 30 minutes ago. Yeah. And they're like, shit. Yeah. Well, but then they're like, all right, let's go home. Like, Dr. Manhattan, who is the smartest and most powerful being in the universe, he's like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And the only person who is really upset about this at all is Rorschach. Yeah. He's not about to let them get away with that and, you know, killing all these people and causing all these lives to be lost Mm -hmm. and so i mean this is also i found very moving when they uh they're in antarctica is it antarctica or regular arctica it's one of the arctics (laughs) so they he's out there in the snow and rorschach takes off his mask and he knows that dr manhattan's not going to let him leave this omniscient powerful the most smartest man in the universe billy crudup a golden god yeah he's going to kill this man rather than let him go and try to spread the truth of what actually happened. Yeah, because they all believe that the tr- the truth will set everyone back against each other and we'll be back into World War Three. Yeah. Out of my way. People have to be told. You know I can't let you do that. Suddenly you discover humanity. It's grim. Yeah. So that he explodes. He explodes. He explodes Rorschach all over the snow. Yeah. He's <laughs> strawberry jam, man. Yeah. <laughs> and that's pretty much that's the main that's the end of the main plot of the movie. And yeah. there's just a few things that sort of follow up with it. Like there is the part where the Silk Spectre 2 goes and talks to her mom. And we haven't talked about this part, but 
there's a flashback where the comedian, the guy who we see die in the first act, he essentially tries to rape the Silk Spectre's mom, the original Silk Spectre, yeah. and is stopped. And then we find out that they had an affair after that. Yeah, yeah. And then at the end of the movie, Malin Ackerman goes to her mom and she's figured out – I mean she's found she's out through Dr. Manhattan's visions that she's the product of, of their affair. And she's like – why? Why? How could you do that when you hated him? Yeah. And she's like, he gave me you. Right. I just don't know how to feel about that. I I would like as two guys to tread very carefully. But, I know. Um, I, I will say that, you know, relationships between victimizers and victims are yeah. complex. And, you know. It's a complex note yeah. to end on. Yeah. I don't think they make light of it. If they no. did, I would be yucked right out of the movie. But, like... You know, I don't think they try to vindicate uh, the comedian for what he did. Yeah. Um, like, he, he, there's other flashbacks where they show him being terrible to women as well. Well, he's a monster. Yeah, he's he's an absolute piece of shit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I don't think the movie lets him off the hook for that. Yeah. And, and we should also like, mention yeah. he's played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who yeah. is the best at looking like he's having a great time while being a piece of shit. Yeah. And being yeah. just, like, cruel and awful. Yeah. He makes it an art. Yeah. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> and that's Watchmen. I mean, it's a big movie with lots in it and like all the personal relationships and the superheroes and the Cold War. And it's it's a lot. Yeah. I, do you like the changes that it makes from the comic book? Because in the comic book, it's a little bit different. Yeah. In the comic book, so the the, the end thing, it's it's still the basic same plan that Ozymandias thinks, you know, that the world needs to unite and the only way that they'll be united is with a common enemy. Mm-hmm. So he's he says, I'm going to make up an enemy. And he genetically engineers like a tentacle monster yeah. with like a, a psychic clone brain that explodes and kills a bunch of people. Yeah. And truthfully, like this is a part where like <laughs> real nerds like get mad at me and like right. you know much love to the real nerds I, I'm a pretend nerd but you know the, the diehard fans of the uh, source material hate that they changed the ending but I actually think that this new ending uh, the, the movie ending does what a lot of other comic books fail to do like they just don't mm-hmm. know how to land the plane the third act always sucks and what this movie does is actually tie the third act into everything we've seen before instead of just being like new thing aliens from the sky you know this is actually like the solution is based on everything that has come before, and it, it they kind of wrap it up in a very tidy bow. Yeah. So I think it's sorry, Alan Moore fans. Like it's kind <laughs> of a slight improvement on just just in the way they ended it. Yeah, I remember thinking the tentacle monster was a bit silly. It's it was kind of silly, yeah. and I do like that this ties into I think you know what was a real world sort of. Thing. I remember that Cold War being a dealie, right? Yeah, it, that was it, a was real, a, it was a whole was thing. A, wasn't there a missile crisis, a Cuban? Some kind remember, of, wasn't it? Wait, it was left balloons. There were 99 of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> remember when, uh, like, there's that X-Men movie, which uh, kind of, which does the Cuban Missile Crisis, Days of Future Past? Yeah. That reminds me of, that reminds me, like, this did it, you know, way before that, trying to, like, tie it in. And also, I think making, like, a period piece movie about, like, a, you know, only very short distance. I don't know what to call that. It didn't happen too long ago. The recent past. The recent past. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so we're going to take a break. We have more to talk about. We have some behind the scenes. Blaine, Blaine's not here. Glenn, I have prepared some trivia for you. Okay, I can't wait. I hope that you have brushed up on your Watchmen knowledge. I'm sure you're going to do fine. Come back with us after the break. <laughs> 
were the rewatchmen. <laughs> huh? No. Uh, okay, all right. I'll allow it. But watch I've got yourself. <laughs> Glenn Bowerman from Spacing Radio Podcast. Hello. Spacing Magazine Radio Podcast. It's the Spacing Radio Podcast, the official podcast of Spacing Radio. <laughs> I messed that whole thing up. So what is Spacing Radio Podcast uh, if people don't know. Spacing Radio is uh, an, a Canadian urbanist podcast. We talk about things, uh, all things Canadian cities, how they work, how they don't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about transit infrastructure, architecture, housing, Doug Ford a lot these days. So my question is, inspired by this movie, do you think it would be a good idea to blow up a large part of Toronto Blame it on a superhero, and then maybe we can get something fucking fixed. Uh, (laughs) Professionally, I don't think I should be speaking about blowing up any parts of Toronto. That's fair. (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. (laughs) I have to watch my stuff. Well, we will leave it to the superheroes or villains to do. So I have some trivia for you, and, you know, there are some softballs, there are some hardballs. I think that you will do fine because you know all of the knowledge all of the knowledge. You know all of the knowledge. You, uh, you are a Dr. Manhattan of, uh, of the Watchmen okay. universe. I'm excited to 90 seconds from now when I answer correctly. <laughs> okay. So in addition to being a screenwriter, David Hayter, who wrote the first draft of this particular screenplay, has a career as a voice actor as well. Can you name which video game character he has voiced throughout the entire series? David Hayter. Don't be a hater. I'm sorry. I, that's that's strike one Glenn, for me. Glenn, I can't even. This guy knows. <laughs> do you play video games, or uh, do you love your precious comics too much? <laughs> I was too busy reading. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry. I... Okay, so David Hayter is known as the voice of Solid Snake okay. in the Metal Gear Solid franchise. I have not played a single. Metal Gear Solid game. That's fair. I haven't played one either, but I like watched a friend play a bunch of them okay. at his house once when I was younger. Sure. All right. So, you know, I feel like I know the guy. feel like we got a bit of a connection. Also, I mean, from what I know about the Metal Gear Solid universe, it sort of has like a similar tone to it, like a sort of vaguely conservative, don't trust the government, okay. you know, I don't know, conspiracy theory. I don't know. I'm going to go play some video games after. All right. Okay. So you didn't get that one, nope. but you could. it's it's not technically about the Watchmen, so I think that's fair. And neither is this question, so oh, watch out. <laughs> so prior to Watchmen, mm-hmm. what movie did Patrick Wilson, who plays the Night Owl, and Jackie Earl Haley, who plays Rorschach, co-star in? Oh, what was uh, Dreamcatcher? The Stephen King thing? No, I don't think so. It's such a terrible movie. I know Donnie Wahlberg is in Dreamcatcher. Uh, maybe I'm mixing up with uh, one of the Funky Bunch. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll 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 research that and we'll come back. Okay. But the answer is Little Children, which I don't know if you remember that movie. It was didn't see. I I knew Jackie Earl Haley was a was a child actor. Yeah, he was a child actor. He was sort of best known for the Bad News Bears. Okay. He played, I presumably, the worst bear. <laughs> and The he, grittiest bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he had, his career sort of died down for a, a long time, and then it made a big comeback when he did this movie, Little Children, which is one of those, like, suburban neighborhood dramas. Patrick Wilson plays, like, a husband who – he's supposed to be studying for the bar degree, but he just wants to watch kids play basketball all the time. And Kate Winslet plays his, like, disaffected and bored wife. Jackie Earl Haley plays this sex offender who has moved into the neighborhood who is – causing everyone to freak out. Don't remember if it's, if it's a great movie. The performances are pretty good. But it's fair. You couldn't have gotten that one. It's not your forte. There was no little children comic book. No. No, so, no capes and cowls. No capes and cowls. I think this one will be, Glenn, a little bit easier for I you. I need one. It's <laughs> a little bit more in your ballpark. Okay. Okay? So several Watchmen actors have shown up in the Zack Snyder-produced DC comic book movies such oh, as no. Justice League and Batman v Superman and Superman gets up. Uh, <laughs> Superman takes Manhattan. Would you? Can you name any of the roles that any of the characters from this movie played in any of those movies? In the terrible, terrible DC universe films. Yes. 
Truthfully, no. I'm sorry, man. Damn. These are hard. You know, <laughs> I uh, I thought that I would have to make them difficult for you, and uh, I thought wrong. That is okay. <laughs> there's no prizes, so you didn't lose anything. <laughs> you greatly overestimate my competency. <laughs> so there's been a lot of them, but just a few that I'll mention. Patrick Wilson plays King Ohm in Aquaman. Didn't, I don't know. Didn't, didn't see, see it. That. Yeah. Okay, but... Jeffrey Dean Morgan, this one's interesting, plays a character in Batman v Superman. He plays Thomas Wayne. Okay. Yeah, I I remember that now. And there's also an interesting thing in this movie. I don't know if you notice it. I didn't. I really just saw it in the IMDb trivia that there's a scene that suggests that in this alternate reality, which is also an alternate reality to the comic book universe, I guess, that... Bruce Wayne's parents weren't murdered. Mm-hmm. Everything went fine, presumably, you know. So, I don't know. Or are you talking about Flashpoint? What's Flashpoint? Flashpoint is one of the great DC storylines where, um, I don't know if I should spoil it because it is so good. Basically, there's an alternate universe for reasons. <laughs> time, time travel reasons. I where, love alternate universes. Where uh, Bruce Wayne's parents don't die. Bruce Wayne is gunned down in front of his parents. Oh my God. And Thomas Wayne becomes a very much more militant, gun-toting, angry, like murderous Batman. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah. No, this isn't that. I think it's just like a quick scene where it shows the theater that um, the movie was supposed to be playing at that Thomas Wayne and Martha, Martha. were supposed <laughs> to have seen before. But... Yeah, I found that sort of interesting. And then, of course, Zack Snyder, for some reasons, would be given the reins to that franchise briefly. And he's still on as a producer for all of these movies because they're still technically part of the same franchise. Yeah, he got the ball rolling, the terrible, terrible ball. Yeah. Also, Billy Crudup plays, I think, somebody who must be related to The Flash in Justice League. So there, there's sprinkled in there. Okay. But... You didn't get any of the questions. No, I beefed it. Holy cow. That's okay. (laughs) That's okay. I do have some information, if you will, about the development of this movie because it has a long development history. It was first sort of optioned in 1986. Okay. Which is, I mean, to put that in context, that was before the Tim Burton Batman movie. Like, we're looking at this movie which we say comments upon superheroes and superhero movies, they were potentially looking to do that before there was really anything to comment on. There was the Donner Superman movie and that's it. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, yeah, it's a whole different world. Yeah. But it was originally, the rights were bought by Joel Silver and uh, some other dudes and Terry Gilliam was attached to direct it for quite a long time starting in the early 90s and he started raising money. He raised about $25 which was supposed to be a quarter of the budget. Okay. But it wasn't enough. And basically, Terry Gilliam, who, of course, believes he can do anything, mm-hmm. essentially said Watchmen is unfilmable. Right. That was his stance. And, you know, if Terry Gilliam can't do it, he'll just keep on trying to do it for years and years, whether Something people want to do knows. it or not, and then people will be underwhelmed by the result. But that didn't happen in this case <laughs> because it, it got sort of passed around. It was sort of... Dropped until 2001 when they hired David Hayter, Solid Snake, who also wrote several of the X-Men's movies. They hired him to do a script and they wanted to get Darren Aronofsky to direct, which would have been pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Darren Aronofsky, of course, did Requiem for a Dream, The Wrestler, which I really love. But he instead decided to do The Fountain. Okay. Did you see that one? I did not see that Oh, woof, I hate the fountain. <laughs> okay. I, I gave it a flat pass. But I can sort of see, like, where there would be some intersection between this. Like, we could have had Hugh Jackman as Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. There's some flying through space in that movie. Oh, I hate it so much. I'll have to give it another rewatch because I just... Ugh. But, yeah, he left to do that. Then they gave it to Paul Greengrass. Then he did something else. Then Tim Burton expressed interest, who, of course, had done the two Batman movies, which basically kicked off like all the superheroes Yeah. until eventually it came around to Zack Snyder. And he was basically given to it after the success of the 300, which was 
It was such a big and strange movie. Yeah. Did you see that one? I did not. I, I, I'm not a big fan of Frank Miller. Sorry, sorry, nerd, sorry. Oh, my God. Um, Frank, but we can get into how he, Zack Snyder and Frank Miller live in the same universe. But, uh, yeah, I, it didn't interest me. The source material didn't interest me. Um, so I, I didn't see that one. I didn't see it either. But uh, it was big. A lot of people liked it. People loved it. It was a big thing. And, of course, Gerard Butler, who was in that movie, they would use him to do the voice in the Black Freighter for this movie. So technically, he's in this movie okay. if you watch the ultimate cut. Yeah. Because as yeah. we talked about, you and I, Glenn, before, the, there's, there's a lot of different versions of this movie. Mm-hmm. There is the theatrical version. It's like under three hours. Slightly under three hours. Yeah. A, a, a good solid two hours and 40 minutes. Yeah. You know, it's, it's easy. Then there's the three-hour version, which we watched, the director's cut, which has the 24 minutes of additional footage, including the night owl scene where he gets murdered. Was there anything else you noticed? Uh, I tried to find sites that compare the two cuts, but mostly it's just like 10 seconds here, 10 seconds there. Like, Zack Snyder, say what you want about him. It it seems like he really is trying to be an auteur. He really cares about, like, yeah. what his movie looks like. And, and uh, so I guess it, it didn't do well at the box office. So they're kind of like, all right, we got to sweeten the pot for the DVD sales. Zach, you can you can add your 10 seconds to every <laughs> scene, all those extra frames. He's like, great, this is what I was yes. waiting for. My vision. <laughs> Two more verses of hallelujah sex. <laughs> <laughs> more boner jokes. <laughs> Oh, God. But, and then there's the ultimate version, which has the Black Freighter footage interlaced in it. Which, with the way that it is in the comic We kind of explained book. it. In the comic book, there's interludes of a comic book about, uh, like, a really dark, kind of almost uh, Edgar Allan Poe-ish uh, yeah. story about a, a, the only survivor left on, of a, you know, pirate ship that's been blown up or sunk or some kind of thing. Oh, wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. Rewind. Okay. <laughs> Let's go back to trivia. I had a better third trivia question. Oh, I forgot. Because, you know. I have one more chance. Glenn, you and I went to theater school together. Show did. So that's where, we, that's where we know each other. We come from a theatrical background. Oh, one of the guys who wrote, edited, like, one of the theater play anthologies is in this movie, Jerry Wasserman. Okay, I remember <laughs> the name from the back of the textbook. He's from the textbook, yeah. Canadian Modern Theater. Okay, but that... That's besides the point. Let's just use our theater degrees, all that money that we spent. So what part of Watchmen is inspired by Bertolt Brecht? Oh, man. Yes! (laughs) You are hammering me with these questions. Yes! I'm like, what was Mother Courage about? (laughs) No. Yeah, Mother Courage was one of the original Minutemen. Okay. <laughs> no. Uh, okay, I'll just tell yeah, you. So apparently, Alan Moore was inspired to write the tale of the Black Freighter from oh, the Pirate song. Pirate Jenny. Pirate okay, Jenny. Okay, yes, yeah. Yeah, from the Three Penny Opera yeah, yeah. by Bertolt Brecht and Kurt Vile. So good. Okay. But, uh, I needed an assist, but I got there. Yeah. Half a point. And I'm glad that I got to use a little bit of my theater degree for once. Zip. Yeah. Oh, we forgot to talk about the TV series, which is coming up. Mm-hmm. So it's it's going to be on HBO. Is it? It's not. Is it J.J. Abrams or is it the guy that he works with often? I think I heard Abrams was involved somehow. I'll he fact could check just be it. like an executive producer or something. Let me say some other names in case it isn't. Carlton Cruz. Is that his name? Cruz. Anyway, never mind. But there are some interesting aspects to it. Like so far, it's not an adaptation or a straight adaptation of the comic book. Yeah. It's not going to have all of the characters, though some of them are returning. Like, it looks like Ozymandias is going to be played by Jeremy Irons. Yeah, like a much older... Because in the movie and in the comic books, he's a youngish dude. Yeah, played by Matt Good. But Jeremy Irons, that's an interesting choice. Mm -hmm. Alfred from (laughs) the terrible Batman movie. Scar. Yeah. From the good Lion King movie. (laughs) From the interesting Lion King. Also, they announced that Robert Redford is going to be portraying President Robert Redford. Interesting. Yeah. Very cool. I like that. Yeah, because in the original comics, of course, it's actor 
Ronald Reagan as the president, and that didn't happen in real life, of course, but... No, no, that would be silly. <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> but, yeah, there's, I mean, it, it seems like it'll be interesting. There's also, there's no Rorschach, but there does seem to be, like, a gang of people wearing Rorschach's mask. So I wonder whether it takes place after the events it of the It seems like it takes place after. Yeah, and maybe, like, Rorschach has become, like, this martyr figure. Yeah, it, there seems to be, like, a cult of Rorschach people. Because we, we forgot to mention that, like, uh, the whole story, the, the whole time through the movie, there's Rorschach, like, Rorschach's journal. He Rorschach kind of journal. narrates everything. And then at the end of the movie, feeling that he's not going to come back from their last adventure and the co- confrontation with Ozymandias, he leaves his journal in in the kind of crank file of a local newspaper. Yeah, it's like some right-wing, you know, yeah. crank paper. It's like Alex Jones against it or something. <laughs> yeah, so I guess what, the, what I assume is going to happen in the TV show is, like, this is post the paper finding his journal and, like, you know, telling the whole truth and maybe people believe it or maybe just a subsect of people, you know, buy into it and they sort of create a cult of Rorschach. Can you imagine if something like this happened? We had all the information and then they sent it to someone like fucking Alex Jones <laughs> and we're like, uh, I don't know. If it's true, I don't want it to be true. I just don't want to validate you because you're a piece of shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> World peace is built on a lie and it's making the frogs gay. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm starting to wonder whether 9-11 wasn't an inside job. <laughs> Uh, it's smart to return now because I think nowadays there's a lot of uh, crossover between that period in 1980. We were both just born, but like yep. it was grim. Like we had a ridiculous president. We had Reagan. We had Thatcher. We had Nazis, you know, in suspenders and Doc Martens on the street. Like it's all happening yeah. again. So it's like kind of a good time to return it to is. the source material. Yeah. And yeah. And I feel like something about. The way that it is written, like with Rorschach as a more conservative figure and some of the other characters as more liberal figures, I think that it gives us like an interesting perspective Mm -hmm. to look at these events because it's – yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's I find it interesting, but also I don't want to validate assholes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I think they they would have to sanitize Rorschach for us to have any kind of sympathy or the Rorschach fans. Well, are we supposed to have sympathy? For, like, I feel like we're supposed to we're supposed to bristle at his right wing leanings. Definitely, even though I feel like Alan Moore is Rorschach. Uh, to, probably to an extent, he's he's kind of like a hippie-ish liberal. Is he? Uh, he is in real life. I, th- I I believe. Like, he hates Frank Miller, who I think okay. Frank Miller is is just an atrocious person like I, right. I don't like his take on the world let alone the world of comic books okay just deeply right-wing conservative like just not what i feel about yeah. anything <laughs> whereas alan moore is kind of yeah i think he's more of a hippie wizard kind of dude that's maybe fair i maybe i maybe am getting them mixed up <laughs> which one did like the weird sex comics <laughs> the weird sex comics uh, i think i remember reading something about alan moore dabbling in pornography, that kind of thing. But Alan Moore is also famous for uh, The Killing Joke. Right. Um, but he's also famous for kind of regretting that. If right. anyone's ever read it, it it has a, a very violent depiction of an act of violence against Barbara Gordon, Batwoman. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, yeah, year, years after, it, it's one of a lot of people's favorite Batman comic, but it is just vile. And Alan Moore has said, you know, he regrets that. He doesn't like the violence in the movie adaptation of The Watchmen. Right. He said that, you know, like, we made this very gritty and violent, but it's different on the page than it is seeing it in 24 frames yeah. per second. Well, and Zack Snyder really, like, he leans takes pleasure. Into in, yeah, like some of the scenes where people are getting, like, punched and, yeah. like, it's brutal. Can we talk about that? Because, yeah. like, this is, I thought with all the, like, DC universe and now I think, like, people have... The consensus is that it's failed. It's a failed experiment. They tried to do what Marvel did. Yeah. I think The Watchmen is a grim story. And it was grim because at the time, Alan Moore wanted to take it as a creative challenge. Can I invert the world of like, you know, this kind of corny, Pollyannish, uh, cape and cowl superhero world? What if superheroes were shitty? (laughs) I think Zack Snyder does well with this material because I think he truly thinks that superheroes are shitty. Yeah. And that works for The Watchmen. 
It right. doesn't work for Superman. No, you know it doesn't work for the Flash. What's his power? He's a he. He runs fast. He runs you know, fast. like I just can't. You're not supposed to take them seriously. People talk about the Watchmen being the moment that comic books grew up. Right. But I kind of reject that because this material really resonated with me when I was a younger man, like on the front end right. of my twenties. Yeah. I think. You love that grim, dark stuff when you're a teenager. Like you've just discovered that the world can be kind of shitty, and you think you're the only one who knows it, and you can't wait to talk about it, and it's insufferable. Mm. When you're actually grown up, you're kind of like, you know what? I just want to watch a guy in pajamas do a fly, maybe a punch, but like I yeah. don't want to see Batman stab a guy through the lungs. Yeah. You know? Like, and if you if you think you have to do that to the su- subject material, you don't like the subject material, and you shouldn't be in charge of it. Mm-hmm. It's at the end of the day, it's for kids. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree for sure. I mean, I haven't seen many of the DC movies after I think the Superman one. Are they particularly violent? Are they like they seem visually dark and gritty? Do they sort of follow through? Yeah, is that the one where Batman kills people? Batman super kills people and like brutally like you know, breaks bones and, yeah, stabs a guy, picks up a gun Affleck. and shoots, which is, like, even Frank Miller's take on Batman, one right. of the grimmest takes. He still has a scene where he's like, we're not going to use guns because guns are the tool of the cowards and we're better than that. And then Zack Snyder was like, yeah, we'll watch. Just watch this. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to see Batman shoot people with an AK? I never did, but I've seen it now. Yeah. And I left the theater just, like, walking away like sad Charlie Brown. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I think now is like a great moment for the new show to comment on all of the superhero things and maybe on the failed DC superhero things. And hopefully, hopefully it does. So let's just let's talk about what we thought about it. Glenn, you love this movie. Yep. You love The Watchmen. You hate Zack Snyder. Mm -hmm. What were your feelings this time around? Did it change for you? How do you feel? I think it it still holds up. I think it still captures the essence of of the source material. I think it's it actually makes more sense to watch it now when things are super grim <laughs> than when when it came out in two thousand nine, where it was kind of a period of hope. Obama yeah. had just been elected. Yeah, we were still stuck in two wars that we're still stuck in. <laughs> well, um, you know, America was, but uh, yeah, it, every day it makes more and more sense, uh, and and I think it can resonate with people. I just. Zack Snyder was the perfect person to tackle exactly this. Right. And I think it holds up. Nice. Yeah. I I don't know. I, I have some problems with it. I I felt like it was, for me, it was super long. Like, I wish that there was a way to tighten it up. I respect Zack Snyder's fidelity to the source material. Like, he is relentless in including every single thing in the comic book. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether he knows why he's including everything. Like, he doesn't seem to connect to the material in a way. Like, a lot of the stuff just doesn't have, like, a lot of, like, emotion or I feel like, I don't know. It it sort of lacks motivation in a strange way, which I'm okay with. I'm okay with superheroes talking, but parts of it were not super great for me. And some of the acting, I like, some of the performances I think were really bad. Yeah. We already talked about Malin Ackerman. I wasn't feeling Billy Crudup this time. I think he might be bad. Uh, he just kind of whisper talks his way through the – like he, he's one note. He talks yeah. like this the whole time. You know? Yeah, and I guess Rorschach took the talks like this note. So yeah. what else can you do? Maybe Billy Crudup also was going to do that and then he came to set the first day and was like, oh, shit, you're talking like that? Oh, you're doing scary voice? I was going to do scary voice. <laughs> I can do vulnerable voice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't love him. Didn't love him in this one. Patrick I, Wilson is good. I like Patrick Wilson. Henry Dean Morgan. Yeah, good. He's good. I don't love all of the most uh, obvious music choices for all of them. I do like the Bob Dylan stringing the movie together because I think it tells like a little bit of a story. Yeah, you know the times are changing all along the Watchtower, which is very apocalyptic and yeah. it also ties it into Battlestar Galactica and. Desolation Row, which is not a great version of the song, but like, you know, those things tell a story. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really interesting technique to sort of tie the movie together. I think I'm just still a little bit disappointed because I think that I wanted it to live up to what I felt when I first read the comic when it seemed to answer like all the questions that I had about the superhero world, about 
I mean, I don't, I don't think it answered questions for me about the morality in our world. But for me, it, you know, it sort of like synthesized all the things that we were talking about at the moment in terms of like dudes dressed up in capes. Yeah. And that felt really cool. You know, like it felt like all of my comic book knowledge had led up to this point. So maybe I overhyped it. And I don't think that I'm as like hurt by the things that it doesn't get quite right. I think I can enjoy more the things that it takes risks on, which are hilarious. Like, somebody's playing Henry Kissinger. Yeah. Fuck, that guy is still a problem. Right. Fuck. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, in a kind of Doctor Strangelove kind of war oh, room. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there's so much to love about it. I mean, I I think I might rewatch this at some point in the Ultimate Cut version so that I can see the Black Freighter stuff interlaced. Because that's also an interesting story, which, you know, Alan Moore has said sort of plays into Veidt's story and, you know, touches on all the other elements. So I think it's I think it's rewatchable. Yeah, me too. Good. If you have three hours. Or four. <laughs> or four. Depending on how much time you had. I mean, I think it'll be great as like a nine-part series on yeah. HBO. Like I'll that is be watching. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's rewatchability for this week. Thank you for listening. Glenn, where can people find you? Uh, you can uh, tune into Spacing Radio, uh, Spacing Magazine's podcast. Uh, it's available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify. Stitcher? I don't think we got a Stitcher. Deezer? Uh, a lot of podcatchers. It's, people know how to Pinhole. get podcasts, right? <laughs> <laughs> ask uh, ask your uh, ask your uh, nephew or you know your niece, <laughs> <laughs> and you can find us here. We'll be here next week with. I'll cut it in, and uh, we're also on Facebook, on Twitter. If you have a movie you'd like us to talk about, send us an email at rewatchability at gmail dot com, or you can go to rewatchability dot com, click on the sound pipe link, and you can record a thing requesting a movie. We will play it on the air if it's not obscene and if you don't threaten us. So, yes. And thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.